Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hey, LeVar here. We are kicking off the holidays a little early this year with a 3D immersive remix of this very fun mystery about mall Santas. Hope you like it. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. For some of us, it's the holiday season right now, and I thought I would take this opportunity to bring you not only a holiday-themed story, but a holiday-themed mystery featuring the ultimate man of mystery, Santa Claus. And yes, if you are listening with children, be aware that this is a story that involves Santa. You have been warned. The story is called The Usual Santas and is by Mick Heron from his collection Dolphin Junction, published by Soho Press in the U.S. and John Murray in the U.K., Mick Heron is a British novelist who you may know from his award-winning series of Slough House thrillers, which has been adapted for an Apple TV series called Slow Horses that stars Gary Oldman. Yeah. The Usual Santas follows a group of professional mall Santas who are posted up in a sprawling shopping complex outside London. It's Christmas Eve, and after a busy holiday season, the Santas are finally getting to hang up their hats. Though not literally, since they have kind of an unspoken rule about staying costumed on the premises. I had an amazingly fun time reading this story, so let's just go ahead and get started, shall we? I'm going to go ahead and take that deep breath. Begin. The Usual Santas by Mick Heron. White Oaks, the brochures explained, was more than a shopping center. It was a day out for the whole family, a complete retail experience under just one roof. 
It was an ideally situated outlet village, an ultra-convenient complex for the ultra-modern consumer. It was where quality met design to form an affordable union. It might have been a stately pleasure dome. It was possibly a garden of earthly delight. It was almost certainly where capital letters went to die. More precisely, it was on the outskirts of one of London's northwest satellite towns and, viewed from above, resembled a glass and steel rendering of a giant octopus dropped headfirst onto the landscape. In the gaps between its outstretched tentacles are parks and play areas and public conveniences, and at each of its two main entrances were garages, offering, in addition to the usual services, full valet coverage, four-wheel alignment and diagnostic analysis, as well as free air and a last-minute one-stop shop. Cart stations... Colored pennants hoisted above them for swift location were positioned at those intervals market research had determined user-friendly and were assiduously attended by liveried cart jockeys. From ten minutes before dusk until ten after daybreak, the area was bathed in a gentle orange light. The quiet humming of CCTV cameras constant reminder that your security was White Oak's concern. And in a hedged-off corner between the center's electricity substation and one of four home delivery loading bays, perhaps the only point in the complex to which the word accessible did not apply, lurked a furtive row of recycling bins, like a consumerist memento mori. As for the interior, it was a contemporary cathedral, sacred to the pursuit of retail opportunity. There was a food mall, a clothing avenue, an entertainment hall. There were wings dedicated to white goods. All your domestic requirements satisfied. Pampering, full-body tan in minutes, and financial services. Consolidate your debts. Ask us how. There was a boulevard of sporting goods, a bridal way of gardening supplies, a veritable Hatton Garden of jewelers. No franchise ever heard of went unrepresented, and several never before encountered had multiple outlets. White Oaks's delicatessens carried sweetmeats from as near as Abbotsbury and as far as Zevochitze. Its bookshops shelved volumes by every author its reader could imagine, from Bill Bryson to Jeremy Clarkson. The shopper who is tired of White Oaks, it might easily be asserted, is a shopper who is tired of credit. During the summer, light washed down from the recessed contours of its cantilevered ceilings, and during the winter, it did exactly the same. Temperature, too, was regulated and constant, and in this it matched everything else. 
At White Oaks, you could buy raspberries in winter and tinsel in July. Seasonal variation was discouraged as an unnecessary break on impulse purchasing. Which is not to say that White Oaks ignored the passage of the year. Rather, it measured the months in a manner appropriate to its customers' needs. As surely as Father's Day follows mothers, as unalterably as Harry Potter gives way to the Great Pumpkin, time marches on, its inevitable progress registering as peaks and troughs in a never-ending flowchart. For there are only 17 major feasts in the calendar of the complete retail experience. And the greatest of these is Christmas. At White Oaks, Christmas slipped in slowly, subliminally, with the faint rustle of a paper chain in early September and the echo of a jingle bell as October turned. Showing almost saintly restraint, however, it did not unleash its reindeer until Halloween had been wholly remaindered. After that, it was open season. Taking full advantage of its layout, the complex boasted eight Santa's grottos, one per tentacle, each employing a full complement of sleigh, sacks, elves, snowflakes, friendly squirrels, startled rabbits, and, counterintuitively but fully validated by merchandise profiling, talking zebras. And, of course, each had its own Santa. Or, more accurately, each had an equal share in a rotating pool of Santas. For the eight Santas hired annually by the White Oaks Festive Governance Committee had swiftly worked out that no single one of them wanted to spend an entire two-month hitch marooned in haberdashery's backwater, or were still abandoned under fire in the high-pressure, noise-intensive combat zone of toys and games, while another took his ease in the food hall, pampered with cake and cappuccino by the surrounding franchisees. So, a complicated but workable shift system had been established by the Santas themselves, whereby they chopped and changed each two-hour session, swapping grottos three times a day and generally sharing the burden along with the spoils. This worked so well so much to everyone's satisfaction that the first eight Santas hired by the governance committee remained the only Santas White Oaks needed, returning year after year to don their uniforms, attach their beards, and maintain an impressive 83% record of hardly ever swearing at children whose parents were in earshot. Santa Ying was not an easy undertaking. It was not a task for sissies. And while the usual Santas didn't always do things by the book, by God, they got the job done. And each year, once they'd managed just that, 
After the shops had lowered shutters on Christmas Eve and White Oaks slumbered preparatory to the Boxing Day rush, the Santas met in a hospitality room adjoining the security suite and relaxed over a buffet provided by the grateful merchants of the quarter and exchanged war stories until the hour grew late and generally luxuriated in the absence of children. But however relaxed they grew, they kept their beards on and remained zipped inside their red suits and never addressed each other as anything other than Santa. And, in fact, would have been unable to do so had they wanted, because while they might, for all they knew, be friends and neighbors in Civvy Street, might drink in the same pub or regularly catch the same bus to the same football ground, on duty they remained in uniformed character and always had done. This had started in jest, but had quickly hardened into custom. Not long after that, it calcified into superstition. In their dealings with toddlers and hyperactive infants, the usual Santas had suffered in undignified, frequently unhygienic ways that had bonded them in a manner few civilians could hope to understand. But on every other level, they were strangers to each other. And with this... They were perfectly comfortable. Until one day. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Now, let's get back to our story. The buffet that year was particularly handsome. There were sausage rolls and bowls of crisps. There were slices of ham and fingers of fish. There were rice salads and things on cocktail sticks and mince pies and individual plum puddings. There was a huge plateful of turkey and stuffing sandwiches. There were Christmas pizzas, deep and crisp and even more cheesy. There were eight paper plates and eight plastic knives and forks. There were eight red napkins with Jolly Rudolph patterns, and most crucially of all, there were several large bottles of brandy 
and eight glass snifters. The Santas turned up one by one. White Oaks had emptied of punters, but still it would never do for two Santas to be seen together in public. The first to arrive poured himself a brandy, downed it in a single swallow, poured another, then helped himself to a turkey sandwich. Ho, 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 he said as the door opened behind him. Ho, 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 indeed, the incoming Santa agreed. He, too, headed straight for the brandy. What a day! he said. What a day! Christmas Eve! They both nodded. The words carried a weight a non-Santa couldn't hope to understand. You know what happened to me? I was... Ho, ho, ho! Ho, ho, ho! ho. They both replied as another Santa entered. Whatever had happened to Santa became lost in a general flurry of opening doors and greetings and fillings of glasses. Joe, the security guard, popped his head in, too. He wouldn't stop for a drink. Let yourselves out through the emergency exit, yes? I'll leave you the master so the alarm doesn't go off. Just pop it through the box when you're done. Of course, said Santa. He put the key on the table. Merry Christmas, Joe. Merry Christmas, Santas. Mind how you go with that brandy. Ho, 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 ho. Joe left, and Santa arrived. Ho, 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 he said. Ho, 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 ho. ho. Blimey. Christmas Eve, eh? Christmas Eve, they agreed. Soon, the room was full of Santas, bundled round the buffet table, each with a glass or plate in hand, and most of them talking at once. Blinking cheek of him, sitting on my knee, bold as brass, says if you're the real Santa, how come your reindeer's plastic? So I said, you know, like Doctor Who, you know, like his TARDIS, bigger on the inside... So's my sleigh. And that's how come it fits all the presents in. I don't have a glass. I told her, of course you don't need a chimney, darling. I carry a magic chimney with me. Pop it on the roof. Bob's your uncle. That dried her tears, I can tell you. You can borrow that line if you like. No charge for a fellow Santa. I don't have a glass. The next flaming elf who tries to tell me Santa's suit should really be green. I'll... Excuse me said Santa in a loud voice. But I don't have a glass! The Santa's chatter died away. Well, someone must have two, said Santa jovially. There were eight when we started. Nobody's got two, Santa said. That's the point. What's the point? There aren't eight of us here, Santa said. There are nine. There was a communal intake of yuletide breath. Ha! said Santa. I mean, ho! You must have added up wrong. I don't think so. You try. The Santas fell to counting. Then all started 
talking at once. But what I At length, Santa quietened the assembly by tapping his glass on the table. Well, he said, it seems I owe Santa an apology. One of us appears to be an imposter. Pretending to be Santa, Santa said angrily. I never heard of such a thing in my life. The Santas looked at him. Well, you know what I mean. Perhaps, Santa said, we should have a quick roll call. What? Where you call out Santa and we say present? Santa asked. You see what I did there? He added. That's not what I meant, no, Santa said. I meant we should all state clearly where we were today. Imposter Santa will have an impossible itinerary. Sounds like a plan, Santa admitted. Who's going first? Well, I was at the food hall this morning, said Santa. Then electronics. No, then leisure. After that, I was at... You can't have been at electronics next, Santa objected. I was electronics second shift. No, that's what I said, Santa said. Then leisure. Then I finished up at leisure, Santa said. Before that, I was at clothing. And before that, books. Was that yesterday? Must have been today, Santa offered through a mouthful of sausage roll. Because... That's what I did yesterday. Ah, this is hopeless, said Santa. Could we all just stop milling about? If we all stop milling about, Santa said, the Santas nearest the table will eat all the food. There was general assent to this. Some of the more suspicious Santas immediately reloaded their plates. We need order, Santa said. We need clarity. Everyone should write down their day's shifts. That's right, Santa said, reaching past him for a sandwich. We should make a list. We should check it twice, Santa muttered. I heard that. Does anyone have a pen and paper? Santa asked. Nobody had a pen and paper. There's an elf behind this, said Santa. Mark my words. The elves were not popular with the Santas. They tended to be disruptive and argumentative and frequently indulged in non-traditional banter. Santa said, Why don't we take our suits off? See who we really are. Which would help how? Santa inquired testily. I was only saying... Santa mumbled into his beard. No, Santa has a point, Santa said. We'd soon find out if we had an elf among us if we took our suits off. Nobody is taking their suit off, Santa said sternly. It would be, well, it wouldn't be right. Hmm, Santa said. That's exactly what an elf would say if he was about to be unmasked. I hope you're not suggesting what I think you're suggesting, warned Santa. Everyone, calm down, Santa said. It's clear none of us is an elf. 
We're all far too shapely. Quite, Santa agreed. Anyway, the elves are at their own party. They've gone clubbing. The Santas shuddered. Don't suppose it would do any good to ask the imposter to put his hand up, Santa suggested. On an amnesty basis, he's welcome to stay and enjoy the buffet. Do you mean that? Santa asked. Or do you really think we should beat him up? Santa sighed. Well, he's hardly likely to put up his hand now, is he? Oh, said Santa. Yes, yes, I see what you mean. I shouldn't have said that, should I? Everyone helped themselves to more food and brandy. The Santa without a glass was making do with a hastily scraped out trifle dish. Though, as he pointed out several times, being last to arrive did not make him the imposter. On the contrary, the fact that he'd had farthest to come all the way from gardening proved he was the genuine article, as well as indicating high career commitment. Since his bowl held three times as much as a glass and he was emptying it twice as quickly, the other Santas agreed with him, then sat him down in a chair. Well, Santa said at last, anyone got any ideas? Santa's hummed and Santa's hard. At length, a Santa spoke. Suppose... A hush dropped over the assembly like a cloth on a budgie's cage. Yes, Santa prompted. Suppose, said Santa. Well, suppose this imposter is the real Santa. A subtly different silence fell. Twit, said Santa, sotto voce. I heard that. There's no such thing as Santa, Santa pointed out. I can count nine of us. A real Santa, Santa meant. Who's to say? Don't, Santa interrupted. Don't say who's to say what's real and what isn't, because I hate that sort of nonsense. I was only going to say, Santa continued, that in order to be the real Santa, our friend would simply need to believe that he's the real Santa. The Santas considered this. That's pretty much what Santa told you not to say, Santa said at last. No, it's a different thing entirely. And anyway, Santa began. Anyway, what? If there is a real Santa, big if, or even just someone who believes he's the real Santa, which would make him a blooming loony, Santa muttered. Then why on earth would he come to White Oaks? The Santas considered this. Why wouldn't he? Santa asked. Because it's a disgusting, cross, horrible place, Santa said. That's why not. The Santas recoiled in horror. There, said Santa. I've said it. Shh, quiet, don't. One by one, 
the Santas looked towards the door to the adjoining security room, where banks of closed-circuit monitors hummed, and where, just possibly, subversive and treasonous opinion was being recorded for later investigation. It's all right, Santa said. We're the last ones here. The Santas relaxed. And besides, it's true. A delicious, guilty knowledge susurrated through the Santas like a winter's wind adjusting a snowdrift. Well, well, yes, well, yes, it is. The Santas nodded one after the other. It was true. White Oaks was horrible, unless you liked autonomous commercialism writ huge, in which any suspicion of non-franchised individuality was stamped on before it made waves. The trouble was, the Santas had few alternatives as far as employment went. The local shops they'd once Santaed for had closed when White Oaks opened. But don't you see, Santa said, that's precisely why he'd come here. Santa said, How do you mean? Why would Santa bother visiting, I don't know, an orphanage or a children's hospital or a home for waifs and strays? Santa asked. When the whole point of Santa is that he goes where he's needed. Like White Oaks? Ha <laughs> ha! Ho! I meant ho! Exactly like White Oaks! Santa insisted obstinately. Look at it. It's a soulless temple to rampant commercialism. It wouldn't know the meaning of Christmas if it came with a buy one, get one free sticker. It's crying out for Santa for criminy's sake. But it has eight Santas, Santa said. It has us, the usual Santas. A pleading note had crept into his voice. But it doesn't have the real Santa, Santa said quietly. A Santa to teach it that profit isn't everything. That money doesn't matter. That it's better to give than to receive. That items can't be returned without a receipt. The Santas stared. Sorry, Santa said. I was thinking about something else. The Santas fell silent. Santa picked the last unempty bottle from the table and passed it round the company. One after the other, the Santas solemnly filled their glasses by a long-practiced choreography, each pouring an exact amount, except for Santa, who poured exactly three times that amount, which precisely drained the bottle to its last drop. Then... Each eyed the other morosely. If I have to wish one more kitty a merry White Oaks Christmas, Santa began, or remind one more parent where to go for all their Yuletide needs, Santa continued, or explain one more time that Santa's gifts are for children with store-validated tokens only, Santa embellished. I don't know what I'll do, Santa admitted. Though all agreed that it might involve punching an elf. 
Santa by Santa, they raised their glasses. Santa by Santa, they drained them dry. Then, simultaneously, they plonked them down on the table, forming a neat row of eight brandy snifters and a small trifle dish. Well, Santa said, do I need to spell out our next move? I think we'd have one mind, said Santa. All for one, asked Santa. And one for all, Santa replied. A Santa's got to do, said Santa. What a Santa's got to do, Santa agreed. It's a far, far better thing, Santa began. can never remember the end of that quote, said Santa after a slight pause. Gentlemen, said Santa, to the grottos. How about Captain Crunch's Crunchberries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean Foot. <laughs> and he stole our Crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunchberry. No! No one steals my Crunchberries. I think you mean my Crunchberries. Choose your own Crunch venture with Captain Crunch. Let's get back to our story. What became known as the Great White Oaks Christmas Looting was never solved. Whoever coordinated the Daredevil heist had somehow contrived to get hold of a master key, which not only gave access to every shop on every floor of every avenue of the complex, but also allowed every alarm and CCTV monitor to be switched off. Nor, given the tendency of store managers to estimate losses upwards for insurance purposes, was it clear exactly how much was stolen. Police investigations did suggest, however, that some very big sacks must have been used. And nor was there any obvious connection between the daring robbery and the appearance on Christmas morning of some very big sacks on the doorsteps of the surprisingly large number of children's hospitals, orphanages, and homes for waifs and strays to be found in the surrounding countryside. The sacks contained toys and games and books and clothes and food and drink and sporting goods and any number of DVDs and mobile phones and Wii consoles and some little sewing kits and various beauty products and brochures containing useful information about how to consolidate debt, liquidate assets and set up a trust fund and the odd item of gardening equipment and some small brown muslin bags which proved to be full of not quite priceless, but certainly very expensive jewelry. This 
the governors, directors, and head nurses of the various establishments concerned swiftly liquidated into cash, which they then used to set up trust funds to ensure that all their charges future Christmases would be celebrated in an appropriately festive manner. And also to give themselves a small raise, because it was valuable and underappreciated work that they did. Back at White Oaks, the only thing approaching a clue that was ever discovered came to light some weeks later, when a truck arrived to collect a recycling bin that was stuffed full of Valentine's Day cards. As it was moved, a large red and white bundle rolled into view. This turned out, on closer inspection, to be made up of nine Santa suits and nine Santa hats. And eight false, bushy, white beards. <laughs> this, uh, this is our first pure holiday story, at least for Christmas. And boy, um, am I glad um, we, we read this one for you. Um, I haven't always been the huge fan of Christmas that I am these days. For many years, for me, Christmas represented a, a real sort of... Mm, I won't say necessarily dark, but definitely a gray patch on my calendar. Um, there was always, and I know I'm, I'm not alone in this, there was just always so much pressure to buy the perfect thing for the right person. And I don't know, all of it just sort of over time built up in me and, 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 and manifest as this high anxiety that was associated with the holidays. Um, it's not like that so much for me anymore. The older I've gotten, the more I am comfortable with um, not being obsessed <laughs> with all of the buying. I mean, I enjoy giving gifts, and I certainly enjoy receiving them, but the emphasis on that being the reason for the season, uh, I... I never really enjoyed and have managed to mitigate in my own life. <sighs> All that to say, whatever holiday tradition you observe, um, my hope is that you and yours enjoy the peace of this season and find a way to chronicle the challenges as well as the blessings of the previous year and anticipate a new year full of all of the good things we all want for ourselves and for others. Um, Merry Christmas, y'all. Happy New Year. And to all, a good night.
Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all. Our researcher, Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. And we have editing support from Tamika Weatherspoon and Harry Huggins, the new, new kids on the block. My thanks to Mick Heron for allowing me to read his story today. If you liked it, please check out his collection, Dolphin Junction. It's a great mix of crime fiction and mystery stories available from Soho Press here in the United States. And if you're over in the UK, the publisher is John Murray. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And tell a friend, why don't you? Pick your favorite story and send it to them. And hey, you can hear episodes ad-free if you like, and also listen to exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. LeVarBurton.com is my corner of the interwebs. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. It's Jean Lefoot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No. No one steals my Crunch Berries. I think you mean my Crunch Berries. Choose your own Crunch Venture with Captain Crunch.